Hey, crosswalk. Good. Uh, so I'm glad you said that because I've been uh, shouting out for Elizabeth uh, at every service. If you don't know that, yeah, uh, on our video there, on our bumper video, that was Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth, if you see her, what you may not know is that she's the one who keeps this place clean uh, for us, uh, not only on Saturday mornings as we transition uh, between services, but throughout the week she's here as well. She's a tremendous blessing and a, a strong part of our team. And so if you get an opportunity after the service to thank her, please do. Hey, so glad you're here. Good to see you. Uh, hope you're well. And uh, yeah, I think it's a little warmer in the room uh, at this service than it was at nine and, and earlier. So, uh, you know, let's breathe slower if we can and, and, and maybe that'll help us. But uh, hey, I'm, I'm glad to be able to kick off this new series for us. As you know, Pastor Tim is on sabbatical. And you know, it's funny, the questions that come our way since Pastor Tim has been on sabbatical. One of the questions, there's really two main questions that have come. One is, what's a sabbatical? You know, it's people are like, what, what, what is that? And the short answer is sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath, which comes from you know, that, that, which means rest. And so this is a time of rest and refocus and restoration and refreshment and replenishment. How many more R words can I come up, can I come up with? A little alliteration, renewal, resetting. Yeah. So Pastor Tim is, is uh, taking this time to focus or refocus on the next season of, of Crosswalk. And so he'll be gone for a few weeks and uh, just, uh, uh, pray for him as he hopefully takes uh, advantage of this time and, and comes back uh, refreshed and reinvigorated. There's two more uh, right there. So second question that comes, I'm not even going to give you the question. I'm just going to give you the answer. Yes, Pastor Tim is coming back. So uh, if you were wondering about that, he will be back in a few weeks. In the meantime, the rest of the pastoral team is here to serve you and support you and journey with you. So whatever it is that we can do to support you, please know that we're available not just on Saturdays, but throughout the week as well. So thank you. Hey, so today we kick off, like I mentioned, a new series, uh, Deep Faith. And the basis for our study are the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to his, and this is his term, his son in the faith. Uh, he wrote to Timothy, and, and I think we're going to glean quite a bit from here that I want to unpack today as I set the foundation not only for the message uh, this morning that focuses on chapter one of the first letter to Timothy, but also sets the stage for the rest of the messages throughout this series. And uh, really, uh, well, the first thing that I want to highlight is, and you know this, that the author is the Apostle Paul, but what you may not remember or know is that uh, this is the Paul that used to be Saul. And he was Saul of Tarsus. That was a, a, a legendary name in that time. You may not know that, but he was well known in that ancient world and in that particularly Hebrew community. He was a teacher of the law. He had studied at the feet of one of the most famous rabbinical teachers of that time, a guy by the name of Gamaliel. And uh, so he had a reputation of being a scholar, a, 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 a great uh, expositor of the Hebrew scriptures. and. He used that, um, he used that to beat people over the head with. And, and, uh, and we discovered that, that that was kind of his, his mode of, of ministry to others. You know, the other part of that was that he was also a protector of the Jewish uh, way of, of thinking when it comes to theology, when it comes to the kingdom of God. 
the, the Jewish nation at that point, and, and Paul was an expositor of this, believed that only a small group of people would enter into the kingdom of God. They believed that only a select uh, chosen few, a group of people, and it was, in this case, the Jewish people were the ones who, if they followed the law of God, which he taught very, you know, very aggressively, if, he, if we followed that, if they followed that, that then they would be able to enter into the kingdom, which meant that everybody else was on the outside looking in. You didn't have an opportunity to draw near to God or to enter into his family or be part of his kingdom. And this is something that he promoted, that he taught, and all of a sudden he has this transformation. He has this revealing that you're probably familiar with in which God appears to him on the road to Damascus. And he has this revelation, this Christophany. You know, Pastor Tim walked us through a series on different revelations of God or Christophanies. And, and so this is what happens uh, to Paul. And he begins and he enters into this process of transformation from who he used to be to what God intended him to be. And the reality is those of us who follow Jesus uh, enter into that process as well, whether we know it or not. We begin to move from the used to be category. You know, maybe we used to be a, uh, you know, we used to practice maybe not, not so good at truth telling and, and maybe uh, move from deception now to truth telling or from maybe arrogance to humbleness or, or maybe from anger. You know, we had some anger challenges. And now because we've entered into a process with God, uh, a journey with God, then we move to more patience and you can fill in the blank, whatever it is that as you reflect back on early on your journey, you discover that you used to be this and now God has transformed you or is in the process of transforming you into what he wants you to be. And that's what happens to Paul. Paul used to be anti-Christ against Jesus, a persecutor of those that followed Jesus. And because God revealed himself to him in a powerful way, he becomes change. He enters into this process that we uh, will be talking about, which is a process to deep faith. And the reality is God reveals to each one of us differently, right? I mean, as you think back on your life, hopefully you can see times or places where God has revealed himself to you. And for Paul, it's, it's a major uh, calling uh, shift from what he used to be to what he becomes, right? He becomes this apostle. The word Apostle is actually someone who was sent on a particular mission. And now Paul's mission has been shifted because he accepted uh, this process of transformation that God is inserting him into. He becomes an evangelist. The word there is euangelion, which means a herald of good news. If you lived in the Roman Empire at that time, there was a habit that was... Uh, <laughs> that was practiced by, you know, those that were in important positions, if they were to come into a new town, uh, they would send ahead some herald saying, this important person is arriving. And, and so these were called euangelions and individuals who were sent ahead by the important person to announce the arrival. And so Paul now shifts his focus on maybe what the Romans would do to announcing the fact that Jesus has come to this earth and is coming back again. And so he becomes this euangelion, this evangelist. He becomes a church planter. Most of the New Testament, you know, is written by this apostle Paul. And it's written to the churches that he planted on these three missionary journeys that we hear about or read about a lot. And so he becomes this church planter. And then Beyond that, and here's what's critical for us as we begin to enter into this series, is that he becomes a messenger specifically sent out to the Gentiles. A Gentile is everybody who's a non-Jew, which means now that he had shifted. 
He had changed from what he used to think or used to be. And now he was proclaiming the good news to those who at one point were on the outside looking in. Those who had their, their faces pressed to the window right on the outside and, but couldn't get in and be part of the family of God, get into the kingdom. And now Paul becomes a defender for those individuals. And it's just a reminder to me that sometimes we're called to be a defender of those that maybe are placed on the outside by whatever circumstances or, or thought process people may have, that we have to be a place of belonging so that the, they will feel like this is a place they can explore uh, God. And so this is uh, what happens to Paul. And the reality is when you encounter God, you enter into this process of transformation from what you used to be or to what God intended you to be. You know, the reality is each one of us, right, is created for a purpose. God has a plan for our lives. He has placed you where you are right now for a particular purpose. And maybe just for a season, but it's for a purpose. You are best equipped to connect with certain people in your circle, whether it be at school, whether it be at work, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your neighborhood. You are the best equipped people to reach some person in your sphere of influence. And God has placed you where you are right now for a purpose. So the question is, what are we going to do about that? And that's again, what this series is gonna focus on. So Paul is the author and the recipient is Timothy, of course, but it's not just Timothy, uh, who he calls the son in the faith. It's also written for the church there and for the church of today. Uh, he's very close, uh, Timothy is to Paul. And we discover again, as we put all the timelines together, that they've probably had a relationship for about 20 years kind of a mentorship relationship. And that's been helpful to Timothy because Timothy comes from an interesting family dynamic. Uh, maybe some of you can identify in a room or those watching online, maybe you can identify with a challenging family a dynamic. Uh, Timothy grew up with a Greek father and a Jewish mother. So imagine that in a Roman world, in a Roman empire that had adopted the Greek culture Greek gods, Greek philosophies. And now you have a father who comes from that background and has a certain mindset. And then a mother who grew up in a Jewish community uh, with the Hebrew scriptures at the center with one God, not multiple gods. And imagine kind of the conflict that he might've experienced growing up in that dynamic. And in spite of that, he's able to kind of come through that and place himself in a position to be transformed and changed by God. You know, I wanna add there something that I find uh, Important, and that is the impact that two women had on Timothy's life as he was growing up. Uh, his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, uh, Paul refers to them in the second letter to Timothy, and we'll look at that later on in this series. But the opportunity for impact of these two women in a, in a culture and in a time where women were undervalued and underappreciated um, you know, is a reminder that we need to make sure that we treat everyone of uh, in equally and uh, value them equally because of the impact that they can have. God can use each one of us in powerful ways. And this is what's been happening here in this journey. Paul has been mentoring Timothy and he's been a big part of the journey. And uh, as I reflected on that, I, I have to reflect or have reflected on the fact that, man, I've had many tremendous mentors in my life. Maybe you have too. Uh, individuals who have walked with you, have encouraged you, who you know, have supported you in different ways and, and mentors are huge. Some we don't get to choose, right? Our parents, hopefully there have been positive mentors. I've benefited from great parents. You know, I've had some great teachers, 
that have again given me a positive uh, light of who Jesus is and have mentored me as I went through uh, some challenging times in my younger years. And, and uh, you know, there are those mentors and then we get to actually choose mentors if we want, you know. Uh, there's an opportunity to do that. And so my question really is, who are some of the people who have mentored you in your life? Because if you've had a mentor, you appreciate the value of mentorship maybe more than someone who has it, right? Um, and I want to encourage you to be a mentor. Maybe there's a, a young person, a, a young mother or father, or, or just, you know, someone that you see that you might be able to walk along with and encourage and support and feel loved and appreciated. And I, I reflect back on when I was a young pastor uh, and my, my wife uh, had our two daughters who were young in church and, you know, I'm up front. She's trying to navigate their feeding times and their sleeping time. And, you know, they, they were sometimes not quiet. And I remember a couple of grandmothers that adopted us and said, you know, I'm going to come alongside and support you, not just on Saturday, but during the week as well. And they became kind of mentors to, to my wife and, and supporters of our family and the impact obviously is still felt today. I, I still reflect on that and value that and it's made a tremendous difference. You know, who is it that you might be able to mentor? I'd, I'd ask you to consider that. You know, one more thing in terms of the introduction. Um, these letters of first and in, in, in second Timothy are Paul's last words to his son in the faith. And I could get into why that is, but the short of it is that this is it. This is gonna be the last really formal opportunity for Paul to talk to someone he's been in relationship with for 20 years and he's developed and he's mentored. And so my question is, what would you include in a last letter to a loved one? It's interesting to me that what Paul chooses is he wants to talk about his faith journey and wanting to make sure that he helps Timothy and the church to enter into a deeper faith journey. He wants his son in the faith to learn from his mistakes. You know, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I was making a lot of mistakes. You know, I was getting good at making mistakes and making poor choices. And I remember suffering some of the consequences of those choices and telling my younger brother, who's eight years younger, uh, saying, look, I hope that you can learn from my mistakes and not have to not only uh, endure the pain of those mistakes, but also not put our parents through those mistakes, et cetera, right? And, and, and so this is what Paul's heart is for, for Timothy and for us as well, because he knows that some spiritual journeys are smoother than others, right? We all probably know individuals whose spiritual journey, man, it's just kind of a soft line upwards, you know, up and to the right. It's just one of those relationships where, man, they're faithful to God, uh, they, they, they journey with God. There's no doubt or crisis. Things seem to be going smoothly and they go through their lives pretty much with not a whole lot of turmoil. And then there are others of us, I will include myself in that, right? Who go through hard lessons and pain before being smart enough or compelled enough to pursue uh, God. You know, my, my journey has had a, quite a few bumps and so I can identify uh, with what Paul is referring to, I, I realize now that some of the things I went through, God was using to get my attention. Now, what does God have to do to get your attention? And in what area? Because it may not be just total life. It may just be in one area of your life that God is saying, I'm trying to get your attention here because I know that if you pursue this road, there's going to be some pain and I love you and don't want you to endure this pain. See, for 
for Saul, who became Paul, he has to appear dramatically, you know? He's gotta blind him, you know? And, and he, he finally gets Saul's attention and Saul goes from someone who had a lot of knowledge about God to someone who fully encountered uh, God through Jesus, who's the revelation of God. And that's what happens there in that story and it can happen to us uh, as well, not just once, but on a regular basis. See, see, Paul was killing people, literally. And there are some well-meaning uh, followers of Jesus, and, and I use that, that term carefully, uh, who have a lot of biblical knowledge, but they're killing people. Uh, they're killing people's spirit and driving them away from God, not towards encountering God. So we have to be very careful as we enter into a journey of deep faith that it includes an encounter with the living God. And, and that's what Paul is getting at here. So as we enter into this letter today, and again, I'm just giving you kind of an introduction and, and an overview that will set us up for the rest of uh, this series. I, I wish I could have actually spent the whole message just on this one verse, verse number one, because he says in, in this verse, he says, this is the letter from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior. And here it is, and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. Christ Jesus gives us hope. See, our hope is Jesus. I have learned, Paul says, that our hope is not on this earth. I have learned that my hope is not other people. As well-intentioned as that may be, and because we're all imperfect, even those that we love and love us, at some point are gonna disappoint us because we're imperfect. So we can't put our ultimate and eternal hope in people or on our work or in our position or on our ability. We can't put it on our possessions or our 401ks or our financial portfolios. Our hope has to be in Jesus. The way that I like to put it is this way, life with God works out better than life without him. And our lives are missing out if we're not living with Jesus as our hope. So Paul starts off very strongly with this and then he gets right to the purpose of the letter. He says, when I left Macedonia, I urge you, this is to Timothy, to stay in Ephesus and to stop those who were teaching things that were contrary to the truth. And he says, don't let them waste time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees and things that lead to meaningless discussions and things that don't help, and here's the key, that don't help people live a life of, and I'm gonna include the word deep, faith in God. Stop talking, stop focusing on, stop teaching the things that aren't gonna help people live a deep faith with God. And that's what this, uh, this uh, series is all about. And uh, Paul kind of summarized it really well at the end of the first letter. He says, he, he uses strong language. Uh, in English, it doesn't sound as strong when he says, avoid. He says, stay away. Avoid godless and foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. All right? Be careful. So my question for you today is who or what do you trust for what is true? When I was in sixth grade, uh, I had a really good friend who came up to me after school one day and said to me, she likes you. You know what I'm talking about, right? There was the one girl that everybody wanted to be liked by and everybody wanted to be friends with. And, and he came to me, he said, she likes you. She likes you. And, uh, and I said, really? And, and he said, yeah, yeah. I said, are you sure? Yeah. 
said, I can't believe it. Neither can I, he said. Um, you know, true friend, right? True friend. And he said, but it's true. She likes you. And it was the end of school. And I remember going home and that afternoon, you know, just being on cloud nine, as they say, and hardly could sleep that night because I was just so full of joy and happiness that she liked me. And I couldn't wait to the next day to get to school. And, you know, I get to school and I see her by the front door and I walk right up to her to talk to her and shortly discovered that it was not true. <laughs> Who or what <laughs> do you trust? Coincidentally, the next year in seventh grade, my parents moved. My dad was a pastor and my parents moved uh, to a new place. And so I went to a new school, made some new friends. And again, a few months in, one of my, uh, my closest friends that had developed there came up to me and said, she likes you. I said, fool me once, right? fool me once, all right? And, uh, you know, other friends came up and said, no, 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 she likes you, she likes you. And I'm like, eh. And uh, I even noticed, which I thought was interesting, that at the end of school for a few weeks, this girl would go up to my mom. And she, my mom came and drove into the uh, parking lot to pick me up and talk to her. And I'm like, well, that's kind of strange, right? <laughs> Shortly, a few weeks later, discovered that it was true, that she did like me. But she had moved on by then because somebody wasn't quick enough, uh, you know, to figure it out. Uh, who or what do you trust? That's, it, it, that's a great question in any relationship, right? But it's, it's especially important when it comes to our spiritual relationships and our spiritual journey. And Paul says there are people who are claiming to be Christians. There are people who are claiming to teach, uh, you know, these, these things that are important that they're actually devoting themselves to useless things. And so beware because these things do not lead to deep faith. So in this series, we want to focus on things that lead to deep faith. And there are three things that the Apostle Paul points out as critical to deep faith. And uh, I, I want to just, in the time that remains, share those with you. They're right at the beginning of the letter so that Timothy uh, uh, doesn't miss it and, and we don't miss it. And here it is, verse 5. The purpose of my instruction, Paul says, the whole purpose of why I'm writing this letter is to uh, uh, is so that the believers, all those who choose to pursue life with God, would be filled with love. Now, the way we like to say it here is that we will love well. It's the same thing. They, they will be filled with love, but that it comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. In other words, there are ways to love that are actually unhealthy. You may have discovered these. You may have experienced these. Uh, being loved, but it really wasn't healthy because it wasn't from a pure heart. An impure heart says, it's all about me. It's all about all I can get. It's all about what the, my advantage is. A pure heart is someone who says, I'm going to do what's best for you. I, I, I'm, I'm going to, the, the biblical term is use, have agape love, a servant-like love, where I put the other person first. Paul says, I want you, I need you. You want to walk with deep faith, you need to love well, but it needs to come from the right place in your heart. It needs to come from caring for others. And then he says, and it's got to have a clear conscience. Now, if we think about it, we know that the conscience is about our motivation, right? If our conscience is bothering us, it's because our, probably our motive wasn't right. And so he says, hey, check your motives and what it is that you're trying to get out of the relationship or the interaction or the conversation in which you're trying to communicate love or, or affection or affirmation for someone. It's got to come from a clear conscience. And then it says it's got to come from a sincere faith. 
we're using the word deep faith, but it's a sincere faith. Um, it has to do with depth of, of our belief as opposed to shallow faith. And again, no judgment here, but let me give you an example of, of shallow faith. You know, we're journeying with God and then things go sideways in our lives and, and we have a bad day, a bad week, or there's a health issue, or we take a financial downturn or a relational, we have a relational breakdown with, you know, a family member or a loved one and things go sideways and we begin to, to pray about it and there doesn't seem to be the answer that we want. And finally we say, well, God must not be listening and we walk away. That would be one example of a shallow faith. And God says, I want you to have deep faith. I want you to focus on, on deepening your faith so that you can understand what a relationship with me is all about. That's why he says in, in the next verse, he puts it this way. He says, some people have missed the whole point. Some people don't understand the love well component and, and the other things that define that. He says, what they've done is they've actually turned away from these things, from loving people, and instead they spend their time on meaningless discussions. That happens a lot. Um, and we, we're all uh, susceptible to that, right? We're all susceptible to getting into conversations that aren't really helpful, that aren't really going to move us in the right direction. And oftentimes they lead us from faith away from God. You know, there's a quote of an of a older movie now that was popular back a few years back, probably more than a few years back, but uh, uh, the quote went something like this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying or, or saw that, but, and I think there's a lot to that. And we could spend a lot of time talking about, you know, uh, how that is true. But I would say if that was the greatest trick, the second greatest trick is getting us arguing and talking about anything but Jesus. To get us talking about things that don't, don't really matter when it comes to whether we're going to enter into the kingdom of God or not. And this is what's happening in the church in Ephesus and why Paul kind of starts this letter with this warning and with this focus. He says, be careful not to focus on things that are not important. Be careful that you're not focusing on things that are meaningless, that don't advance his work or that don't enhance our pursuit of God in our lives. That's why he says in, in, in verse five again, I want you to focus on loving well. Be filled, if you're a believer, be filled with love. You can't go wrong if you have love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. So the question for today and the question for our series is what is deep faith? This is what we're gonna focus on over the next few weeks. Yes, we must love well, and it has to come from the, the areas that I discussed, but how do we get to deep faith? Because things are going to happen that are going to shake your faith, that are going to shake my faith. That's just the reality. It's going to happen in the church. Things are happening in the church that can be discouraging at the church at large in particular. You know, there's meaningless talk oftentimes and useless discussion about theology or about church practices or about who's fit to be up front and be a teacher based on gender. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, discussions that can get us sideways with what's most important. And then there are things that discourage us in this world, right? Anytime we look at the news or check the, our latest news tweet or, or get online or social media, we see just the stuff that's going on around us and they can shake our faith sometime. And so things are gonna happen that shake your faith. And that's why I go back to my saying, hey, we gotta cling to God because life with God turns out better than life without God. That's been my experience. Yes, 
I have experienced that personally, and, and, and I know that intuitively we know this. You know this. It's why you're here. And even though you might not be sure about everything, you are here because you understand that. Yeah, you may not understand some of the things that go on in the church or some of the things that are in Scripture, but you know intuitively that that's true. And so we must take that first step, step a, a step of faith. And that's why God really puts it very clearly. He says, first step, trust me, trust me, uh, choose to trust me. Now that is faith. And again, we have to move from the shallow to the deep there, but he says, look, I want you to trust me, follow me, love well. And he puts it this way in another place. He says, I want you to um, enter into a process of transformation that loves God and loves other people. The way that he actually puts it in another place in another letter that he writes is, hey, don't be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't go by the pattern of, of the way things are, uh, our world says uh, need to work. Uh, we need to renew our mind. We need to change the way that we think. And that means filling our minds with God's word. So deep faith, what do you believe? See, because I've discovered that I have to become a student of my own behavior to really discover what I believe. Let me give you an example. Judge not lest you be judged. I like to think that I believe that, but sometimes it's clear that my mouth is not clearly convinced. <laughs> right? I say I believe it, but I'm not sure. And that's why most of us have at least three types of convictions, right? What I say I believe, what I think I believe, and then what I reveal I really do believe by my actions. See, the best indicator of, of what I really believe are my actions, not what I say. And that's why uh, we'll bring it to a close with this text that is so critical to setting the foundation for our series. Paul says, hey, you can trust this. You can uh, go to the bank on this. However we want to say it today, everybody should accept this. And that is that Jesus Christ came into this world to love, embrace, save those of us who are moving away from God. And he says, I'm the worst one. And we learned by what he used to be that maybe that was the case at one point, but thank God that he chose to enter into a process of transformation that not only changed his life, but changed the world. And we're feeling the impact of that today. And then he closes with this in that thought. He says, God had mercy on me. I love that. And the reason was so Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience. I'm so thankful God has been patient with me. I'm so thankful that he didn't give up uh, on me when I headed in, in the opposite direction when I was a young man and that he was patient. And God accepts you no matter where your journey has taken you. He says, come on, let's journey together. We can move from where you are to where I intend you to be. Uh, he wants to move us to a place that we have unmovable faith, where we'll trust God no matter what. So how deep is your faith today? What do you need to do to allow God to transform you into what he called you to be? What do you need to do? What kind of practices do you need to start to implement to have a, a to be able to live a life that, uh, that shows and, and grows with deep faith? How deep is your faith today? And what are the things that are distracting you from living a life of deep faith? What's distracting you? It's in the way. And it may be just in one area of your life and it may be greater than that. 
but God wants to journey with us. He says, I've never given up on you. I'll always be patient. I'll always love you. So let's walk together so that we can move from where you are to deep faith, where he wants us to be. That's my desire for us as we journey together. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your patience with us, your love for us uh, that uh, waits for us to be ready to come and seek you out, hopefully early in our journey. Uh, but you're always open to, no matter where we've been, uh, to be with us and uh, to help us, um, to help us sense your presence. And that's my prayer today, Lord. Bless us as we move forward into deeper faith each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we uh, worship one more time.